What is a monetized mindset? How does it impact your financial security? How does that help you deal with what happens when what happens happens? Welcome your host, Bart Merrill. Welcome everybody to the Monetize Your Mindset podcast. This is where we take a look at what do you like to do? What do you need to do? What are you already doing? Can you monetize it? Or better yet, let's monetize it. Let's take a closer look at what do you like to do? What do you need to do? What are you already doing? Can you monetize those things? Because if you're already doing them, you might as well make money doing it. I'm so excited about today's interview. We're going to be talking with Clint Pulver. He's a speaker, entertainer, and a businessman. He he's an awesome marketer. There's so many things we're going to be able to learn for him today. But before we get started, I wanted to take a moment here and and tell you about the Monetize Your Mindset event that's coming at coming up. It is the Turn Your Interest into Income event. So it's where we take a deep dive in into what do you like to do, what do you need to do, what are you already doing, or what do you want to know, need to know, or already know, how, could, how you can turn those ideas into an income stream so that you can create that financial security that you need to battle whatever happens when what happens happens. It's it's one of those things that you could be going along at life and then something hits, a, a car problem, a health problem, whatever it is, and you need that extra income to, to make things work for you. Anyway, if you're interested in that event, it's October 26th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Megaplex Theaters on Geneva. So it's in, in, it's in Orem, but they call it Vineyard. I think the address is 600 North Mill Road in Vineyard. For more information and to get your free side hustle cheat sheet, go to monetizeyourmindset.com, get your sheet cheat sheet, go to the next page, and then you'll see all the details about the event and see if it's a fit for you. It's going to be a great event. We have a panel that's coming in. We have Jesse Good that's t- coming in to talk about customer service and how to create that customer loyalty. We we have Michelle Porcelli does some activities to help get get the ideas flowing. We have some amazing people that are taking part in this event. Like I said, go to monetizeyourmindset.com, get your side hustle cheat sheet, and then see if it's go to the next page and see if this event is is something you would be interested in attending. And if you are, we'd love to have you there. And also lunch is included, so how can you beat that? Now, with that being said, let's get to Clint Pulver. I want to tell a quick story about Clint before we get started. I volunteer at the the Haven, which is a 90-day in-house drug rehab center, and we I, I help teach speaking, public speaking, and it just help them gain confidence. And it's a great program. It's it's awesome. I love to go there. It, it I love to be with those the people that are there. It's just it's awesome. But about every six weeks, I try and bring in a a speaker who I feel can maybe touch these people or maybe give them something that was going to help them with what they're struggling with. And I had booked Jason Hewlett. If you don't know who Jason Hewlett is, go Google his name and, and see watch some of his videos that are on YouTube. He is funny. He is amazing. And he does a raptor like a dinosaur raptor like nobody you can like nobody. I mean, it's just incredible what he does. And I was so excited that I had him come into the Haven and he got a, an event that he had to go to. So he had to postpone his event with us. 
But he said, oh, I'll get you someone just as good. And so he helped convince Ty Bennett, another amazing speaker. Once again, if you don't know who Ty Bennett is, go look at his stuff. You know, Google him and see what he has to offer. He has a great course on storytelling. And Ty agreed to come, but then he had he had agreed to the wrong date, or there was a, a mix-up on which Tuesday we were talking about, so Ty couldn't come. But he said, oh, me and Jason, we're going to team up on this, on Clint Pulver and have him come and take our place. And I was just like, Clint Pulver? I'm, I knew who he was, but to me, he was just this young kid, and I was so disappointed that, that I was going to have to be there when Clint Pulver shows up. When I had told them about Jason Hewlett and then Ty Bennett, and now we got Clint Pulver. And so I, I seriously, I was like, oh, dang it, I don't want to go today. They're going to be so disappointed. Clint came, and man, he just knocked their socks off. He was amazing. He connected with the people in this rehab center on a level that that I don't know that Jason or Ty could have done. It was just a, not that it was any better or any worse. It was just different because he was so young and because he could relate to them. Oh, it was amazing what he did. He has this story called The Best Is Yet to Come, and he has a CD out of that. So Google Clint Pulver. I'll actually put the put the, the web address in the show notes, but the best is yet to come. I mean, that story, it was amazing. And man, it just, every time I still tell that story, I tear up when, I, when I'm telling people about Clint. And so I'm so excited to have him on, our, on my podcast today. And I know he will give some great information. Welcome, Clint Pulver. Thanks, Bart. I appreciate it. It's great to be here. I'm, I'm glad you agreed to to sit down and talk with me about what you've done on your journey because I think that our journeys are a little bit similar in that we had goals of something that we wanted to do in the beginning and it kind of changed and we've still been able to to do something and, and do things that we've loved and, and make money doing it. Let's just start out by having you tell your story, Clint. Yeah, for me, I wanted to be a pilot when I was younger, like flying and aviation was everything that I wanted to to be. And I ended up going to flight school. I graduated as a senior in high school with my private pilot's license and was well on my way to achieving that dream. Uh, I had the opportunity after I graduated, I had a year until I was old enough to go on a mission for my church. And that was two years. And when I got home, I had to renew my driver's license. So I went to the DMV. I waited in line forever. Finally, the, the lady, she called my number. It was number 242. And I walked up to the counter and I handed her my paperwork and she started thumbing through it. And then she told me to put my head in that little black box. And we've all done this before if you've ever been to the DMV. And the black box was to test my vision. And she said, just read the letters off out loud. And I put my head in the box and the screen just went white. And there was, there was no letters. And I said, ma'am, I, I can't see the letters. And she said, well, you got to push harder. And I said, okay. And I pushed harder. And again, the screen went white. And I said, ma'am, can I go to another box? Can I go to another booth? And try, you're, it's not working. It's broken. And out of frustration, she looks at me and she said, listen, I've been here for seven and a half hours today. Every single person has stuck their head in the black box and read the letters. Read the letters. And I'm like, Lady, I, I, there are no letters. She comes from around the counter. She moved me out of the way and she put her head in the black box and she read out loud C-K-G-E-L-F-W-Z-Y-N. 
I mean, just verbatim, out loud, hit every letter. Obviously, something was showing up in the box. And she looked at me and she said, honey, can you read? And I said, yes. I said, ma'am, yes, I can read. And she said, well, then you're blind. And I'm sitting there having a conversation with her, right? And I, I said, ma'am, I see you right now. I said, I am not blind. I drove here today. And she said, oh, really? And then she denied my paperwork, put a big red stamp and said, well, you're not driving back. And that was a, uh, I was a, that was a single moment in time for me in my life where uh, everything changed. You know, in, in life we have like, you know, you talk about purpose or significance or direction or where you want to go or what you want to do. And then in a moment that can change, that can derail, that can be shifted. Uh, and that happened for me because I did not pass the vision test. I was under house arrest at the DMV and I'll never forget. I had to call my mom and she picked me up at, and long story short, I ended up at the, a place called the Moran Eye Center at the University of Utah with the top leading authority in a rare degenerative eye disease known as keratoconus. And I had it really bad. As a 21-year-old kid at the time, my eyes were as bad as an 87-year-old's. And keratoconus, if, for those that are listening, if you don't know what that is, it's just, it's a degenerative, de, 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 excuse me, a, geden, a ge, degenerative disease, <laughs> meaning that it just gets worse and worse and worse. It doesn't get better. And uh, it's a thinning of the cornea, and my corneas were getting thinner and thinner until eventually, by age 31, 32, the doctor told me I would go blind. And I was losing my sight. And then he asked, he asked the question that everybody asked, uh, you know, coming home off of a mission, getting ready to start my life, school, college. Everybody asked, what do you want to do? What do you want to become? What do you want to want to go? What's your plan? And I told the doctor, I said, I want to fly. I want to be a helicopter pilot. And I'll never forget, he looked at me and, and just square in the face. And he said, Clint, it's never going to happen. It will never happen. He said, everything that I'm writing in your chart, everything I'm dictating in your notes, will see to it that you never end up in a cockpit. And that was a tough day for me because I was a young kid that literally had his eye on the sky and then watched in a moment that that sky fall in all around me. And some of you, you know, people might be listening to this podcast and you might be thinking, well, yeah, that's hard, but there's greater tragedies in the world. Or yeah, that's unfortunate, but it could have been worse. And that's true. But again, I don't think we understand the importance of significance and direction in our lives until you don't have it anymore. And that's where I was, uh, you know, having the focus, knowing what I wanted to become in literally a moment, that was no longer a possibility. And uh, so I had, no, I had no goal. I had no vision. I had no objective. I literally was back to square zero and had my whole life to figure out. And so that's kind of the beginning story, Bart, of how this all came to be. Well, and, and I relate because I graduated in accounting from Utah State University with all intentions of getting in the FBI. And I, had, I actually had corrective vision surgery called RK surgery, radio keratonomy before, it's, it's what was before LASIK. They go in and they, they make incisions in your eyeball. I have 16 cuts in each eye. And the scar tissue, I guess, virtually reshapes your eyeball to make it function properly. 
after I grew, I went back, I went up to school to finish up my last quarter. I was informed that that automatically disqualifies you from the FBI because it was considered experimental surgery and they didn't want to spend thousands of dollars training you and then have you go back to not being able to see. And I was working a landscaping job, uh, my part-time job from college and I was devastated. I mean, like you, it's, it's, it's less than what you had to deal with because no one told me I was going to go blind. I just couldn't go down the path I wanted to go. Yeah. And for me, I just kind of was in limbo trying to figure out, okay, what now? You know, do I get a real job? Do I get a, an accounting job that I'm going to hate or what do I do? And then things just happened. Things just came together. And I look back and I say, you know, I say that I was lucky or I did life just came together for me. Sometimes I look back on, on it and think that, that I, did, I haven't done anything. I didn't do anything. And that, but then people point out to me, no, you were aware of the opportunities around you, which is a lot about what we talk about here on monetize your mindset on the monetize your mindset podcast. Luck is when opportunity and preparedness collide. I was just ready for the opportunity to, I actually, I took the first commercial bungee jump to Japan. A buddy of mine said, Hey, you want to go back to Japan? And I was like, sure. And anyway, that's kind of how it, how it happened for me. What, what path did you go down after you found out all this? How did it work out to get you where you're at now? Yeah. So I ended up going to college, right? That's what you do when you have no idea what you want to do with your life. You go to college. <laughs> so I ended up uh, at school and uh, I, I kind of, I'll be honest, I chased a little bit of the money, right? You get into school and then everyone's like, well, make sure you get a job that's stable. Make sure you get a job that has benefits. Make sure you have a, a job that's got longevity and it pays the bills and life is expensive. And those are all real things. But there were a lot of people in my life that said, you know, chase the stability. Don't chase the dream. Uh, you, you need to be a father. You need to be a provider. You need to have you know, that's, that's stable foundation to build a family upon, which is great. It's all good stuff, but it, it forced me into a mindset of, okay, well then get something that makes a lot of money. <laughs> right. Get something that, you know, put, put what you love to the side, uh, you know, and, and again, I, I was kind of at that point too, where I didn't really know what I loved, right? I didn't know what else I could do. Uh, and so, I went into the medical field. I, I graduated with a, a degree in speech communication with an emphasis in leadership and then went to medical school at the U. That was for two and a half years, specialty orthopedic school, and I became an orthopedic consultant. Uh, five years post-college doing that in a job that was a very coveted position, very competitive, high stress, in the OR doing total knees, total hips, cranial maxillofacial surgery, uh, cardiothoracic surgeries, uh, Great job. I mean, literally, I had a home, had all my cars paid off, had no debt, really was making great money as a young kid right out of college. Uh, but every day, I was literally haunted by a quote that I had learned in college by a mentor that taught me lots of things. But the quote that he shared with me was a quote by Oscar Wilde. And in the quote, it says, to live is the rarest thing in the world. For most people merely exist, and that's all. And I remember thinking about that, to live. 
like to really, really live, not just exist, because a lot of people just exist. They get up, they do the same thing day in and day out, and it's rinse and repeat, the nine to five, and then eventually then you, oh shoot, sorry. And then eventually then you, you die, right? So that's life for a lot of people. And for me, it, it was, I need to, I need to figure out, I need to figure out more. I, I, I'm, I'm not, for me, I was just simply living, or excuse me, existing. So that quote haunted me every day. To live is the rarest thing in the world for most people who merely exist. And for me, every day, I was just existing. I was doing the same thing day in and day out. And then there was another quote that was shared with me by Mark Twain uh, in college where a mentor shared that with me, and I'll never forget it. And the quote is, uh, there's two important days in a person's life, the day you're born and then the day you figure out why. And for me, I was not born, I was not put on this earth to be doing what I was doing. And so all of this boiled down, Bart, to really a, a moment in time where I was sitting down with two of my best friends in a burger restaurant. We were having just fries and shakes and hanging out. And both of them were college grads. Both of them were successful. And I posed the question to them. I said, wouldn't it be crazy, you guys, if you could find one job that allowed you to do three things. And those three things were first, what if it allows you to do what you love most of the time? Number two, it provided for you financially in a way that is sufficient for your needs. And then three, it allowed you to do something bigger than yourself most of the time. What if you could find a job that allowed you to do all three of those? And both of my buddies, they looked back at me and they said, Clint, I, I don't think that exists. I don't, like, I, don't, I, don't think that, I don't think that's a reality. And I said, what do you mean? They said, well, look at like a, a teacher, for example. You know, they do what they love and it's also full of purpose. But when it comes to their bills, half the time they can't pay their bills. They, they can't, you know, they're looking for a part-time job during the summer. So that's not the, the full three trifecta that you're talking about. Or look at a doctor. You know, they make tons of money, but the, the hours and the malpractice insurance and the time and the stress and the dictation and all the time they spend away from their family, they're like, I don't think that fits the need either. And my friend, he said, what you're saying, what you're proposing to find a job that allows you to do those three things is so rare. And he called it an anomaly. He said, what you're talking about is literally an anomaly. And I said, what do you mean? He says, just, it just doesn't happen. And I said, kind of like living, right? And he goes, what do you mean? And he said, you know, to myself, to live is the rarest thing in the world for most people merely exist. And I looked at both of them and I said, I, I don't believe you. I think, it's, I think it's real. And two weeks later, I quit my job. And I jumped into the speaking world full-time. And the speaking world for me was that job. It was that industry that would allow me to do what I love most of the time. It would allow me to provide financially for myself in a way that was sufficient for me. And three, it, it is the job that allows me to do something bigger than myself. It allows me to serve. It gives me a sense of purpose. It, it contributed to my calling. It allowed me to live a life that is significant, not just successful.
Gotcha. So let's, let's, let, me, let me ask a few questions on that. So at the time you made this transition, that's one thing that a lot of people could probably think and go, wow, that's pretty scary. You just quit your job and jumped in. But did you have, did you have a nest egg saved up to get started out with? Yep. So I had, I had four to six months of expenses. So I believe in what's called an emergency account, emergency fund. And so I had that set up and that gave me a buffer. Um, and then what I did is I literally designed and mapped out what I needed to, to live in a month. What were my expenses? What did it cost me to survive for one month? At the time I was single. Uh, yes, I had a home. Yes, I had uh, vehicles. I had insurance. I had all the, all the things, right? But I, I needed to budget. I needed to look at, okay, for Clint to survive for one month, what does that cost? And then I, I looked at, okay, if it costs, you know, for me as a single guy, it was like 1500 bucks, maybe close to two grand at the most to live for one month. And I said, okay, then I've got a book, one speaking event or X amount of whatever to, to compensate for that. What do I need? And, and I just, all I did is I got specific. And I think uh, specificity is where we find the opportunity to live. When you get really specific on what you're wanting to do, where you're wanting to go, what you're wanting to become and how to achieve that, it, it, it's, it, it allows you to design a life, not live a life by default, right? Huge difference. And that's all I did is I got super specific and I designed where I wanted to go, what I needed to do to get there, and, and all of the details in between as, as best as I could. Now, did it follow that completely to a T every time? No. Were there pitfalls and obstacles? Yes. But still having a plan, right? I always always have said, what's the most important part of a goal? Having one. If you don't have a plan, it just makes it, you're kind of, you're a wandering generality instead of a meaningful specific. And I wanted to be a meaningful specific. Awesome. Yeah. My, my dad used to say, um, I, I doubt that it's his quote. It's some quote that he learned, but it's uh, plan your work and work your plan. Yeah. He always said that. And he just, has stuck out in my head. Okay, so I want to ask you a few questions as we're wrapping things up here. Number one, you know, you can't hit it out of the park all the time. Babe Ruth was the number one home run hitter at his, in his generation, but yet he was also a one who struck out quite a bit. But I think that when we fail, we learn something from those failures. So they're not necessarily failures. They're learning, learning experiences. Do you have a, a failure or a, a learning experience in your, in your life where you think you learned the most from a failure? And what did you learn from that? Yeah, when I was in pilot training, I went up for my check ride, my final check ride to become an aviator. Lifelong dream senior in high school, a day that I've been preparing for for so long. And I went up and you do all the emergency procedures with an instructor who is your check ride instructor. And they're a very, very trained FFA, uh, excuse me, FAA trained flight instructor that basically writes off pilots, whether you pass or you don't. And so I'm flying in the aircraft with this pilot and all of a sudden he pulls my engine. So literally takes the throttle and pulls it all the way back. And he looks over and he goes, you just lost your engine. What are you going to do? So 
in, in flight school, we call this a simulation failure. And I started to, to go through the checklist and do everything that I thought I was going to do. And I thought we were somewhat close to the airport. And I thought, let's turn back and try to get to the airport. And I made a decision that cost me my, my, my check ride that day. I chose to turn back to the airport. We did not have enough altitude with no engine power. We lost altitude very quickly in the turn. And eventually we kicked the engine back on and we took off again. But had my engine really been out, I would have died. We would have crashed. We would have not made it to the airport. And he said, Clint, why don't you just land ahead in a field? You should have taken the field. You should. We went through all these things. So I ended up not passing. I, I failed. I failed my check ride. And that was really tough. I remember I landed, all my family, everybody was there at the airport with signs and balloons and gifts to celebrate this huge accomplishment. And I walked to my family and I said, I, I didn't pass. I failed. Eventually, uh, after I went back to my other instructor and retrained and refocused and tried again, I eventually passed. But I'll never forget when it was a year after I had, I had graduated, I was already a private pilot, I was flying with one of my friends, and our engine actually went out in our airplane. This was not simulated, this was real. The prop came to a full complete stop, and we had to make a decision. That training, that failure, I believe is a big reason as to why I'm still alive today. Had I not failed, I wouldn't have had such focus, such uh, understanding of the procedures, what to do, what not to do in an engine out simulation, in an engine out situation. And I just went right into my training. I went right because of the failure I had ingrained in myself so much in what I needed to do to succeed. And that success laid, led to us landing safely and for me being alive today. And so that was a great lesson for me that sometimes good things fall apart so that better things can fit together. Awesome. Thanks for that. Next question is what is one or two books that stand out in your head that have made a significant difference in, in your way of thinking? Maybe it's something that you quote from a lot. Maybe, I mean, you've, you've quote, given us a few quotes from Mark Twain and stuff, but what book stands out that you would recommend is a must read for, for someone about it, whether it deals with life or business or what can really make a difference? Yeah, one of my favorite author, authors of all time is Donald Miller. He is amazing. Uh, he's a great speaker. He's an incredible writer. Uh, his book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, changed my life. Um, I will forever recommend that book, and everybody needs to read that. It's all about making your life a better story. And then he just came out with a new book not too long ago that's called Story Brands. And it's a phenomenal book as well. So how do you then sell your story? How do you make it compelling to where somebody would want to buy it, take interest in it, invest in it? Uh, those two books, How to, or excuse me, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years and the book Story Brands, both by Donald Miller, are transformational and life-changing pieces of literature. Awesome. Two, two books I have not gotten to yet. Read them, Bart. They will rock your world. I will. Wrapping this up, last question. For someone who wants to make a transition out of the job, wants to 
Maybe they just need extra income and start a side hustle. Whatever their, their goal is, what would you, what would be the key things that you would suggest to them? I mean, obviously what we've already talked about, get specific, right? Design it, write it out, plan the details, like to, to the day, what you need, how it's going to happen, what's the process. And then, and then second is I've always believed, man, if you want to get good at basketball, hang out by the hoop. Same thing in life with anything that you want to accomplish. If you want to be a great speaker, hang out where the speakers are hanging out. If you want to be a great author, go hang out where the authors hang out. If you want to be a great accountant, hang out where the accountants hang out. Of people doing what you want to do will expedite and, and, and make your journey of coming that 10 times more efficient. And so find those people. Do whatever it takes to associate yourself with extraordinary people doing extraordinary things. You are 24 hours away from anybody in this world. And go to the top. If you want to be something, if you want to become something, find the top people that are doing it and do whatever it takes to associate with those people. Awesome. Great advice because they do say that you are the top five aggregate of the people you hang around with. So pick your five wisely. I pick them to where I'm the, I'm the smallest on the totem pole so that they can all be a head above me and maybe some of that will rub off. There you go. Uh, last, how can people contact you, get a hold of you, connect with you? Yeah, yeah. I have, my website is clintpulver.com, C-L-I-N-T-P-U-L-V-E-R. Uh, and then also on Instagram, uh, just clintpulver is my Instagram handle and happy to connect with anybody there. Awesome. Thanks again, Clint, for taking time to, to be on my podcast. I appreciate it. Yep, appreciate your, appreciate your, your friendship and, and the help that you've given me in my career. Likewise. Anytime. Thanks, Clint. So that wraps up another Monetize Your Mindset podcast. Join us next time. And until then, get busy and start monetizing your mindset. Thanks for listening. Remember, monetize your mindset. Build financial security by monetizing what you already know so that you will always have the resources to deal with whatever happens when what happens, happens. Follow us on Facebook and at BartMerrill.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review.